Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. My name is Alora Chestikoff, and I am from Firebird Summit. My partner in this podcast is Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. Every week we meet and discuss coaching topics relative to professional development, personal development, business, and entrepreneurship. Join us and see if there's anything else you'd like to add to the conversation. Well, hello, hello. This is Alora from Firebird Summit. What's going on, everybody? This is Lawrence Anderson from Boss LLC. It's always wonderful to be back with you, Alora. What is going on? All righty. Well, this week's episode of Grow or Die, I want to tackle a topic that there was an interesting take on in an article in the New York Times this week. So I think, you know, anybody who deals with hiring or is a hiring manager or anything else is, is probably well aware of the great resignation issue, right? We, we've seen a mass voluntary departure out of jobs and there's, you can dive into the socioeconomic component. I mean, there's plenty of ways to dice and slice this up. But the thing that I found really, really interesting in the New York Times article was the psychological component. So one of the things they identified was that, you know, while you can go through the list of all the other reasons that it's happening, from a, a psychological perspective, psychologists are analyzing it and saying, one of the things that happens is when we see other people quitting their job, it's got an almost contagious effect. Like in effect that by watching our friends and colleagues say, screw this, I'm out. It gives us permission to consider whether or not we want to do the same thing. And I love this topic. To me, this is so interesting because it is such a fantastic opportunity for managers who want to be engaged with their team, but it's also a slap upside the head for anyone who's not. Yeah, and, and so I, I love this, particularly from the angle of that social, emotional, kind of psychological aspect of it, because you can... Really this idea that, um, oh, there, people have options and that's why they're quitting. Mm, yeah, you just gave an indicator why they quit you. <laughs> that, that's what that was. But one of the biggest other things that, that I want to throw out there is you, you hit that nail on the head. There is an emotional component to making a decision to leave already, but to have something identified and, and at the numbers that people are calling this a great resignation or this, you know, the the, the flight uh, out of, you know, these organizations, it really connects to uh, something in kind of conflict and mediation that I'm, uh, that I'm now researching. And one of the models that I'm researching now is called the triangle of satisfaction. And, and this idea that there are kind of three basic components to people being satisfied or, or dealing with conflict. And one is kind of that substantive results part of it. There's the process procedural part, but then there's the emotional part of this triangle of satisfaction. And the idea is if one of those sides are out of whack, there's no completion of the triangle. And so what's happened, what I really believe is happening is people are now, and if and somebody's the catalyst, right? Somebody's the catalyst, somebody goes first. And that emotional part of it is like, it was always missing. And so what we're now seeing was that kind of that false bottom 
to, to the floor and the foundation. And all it took was somebody to go first. And now what you're seeing is the fragility in which organizations were actually holding. It was like it was a it was a hair thin foundation that they were actually hold that people were holding on to. And all it took was somebody. And I love the way you presented it of somebody gave them permission. That to me is so fascinating because, you know, like, I think one of the things that I remember, in fact, she's now my best friend still like 25 years later, but I remember we working, we were working together and um, we were back in those days, we all used the uh, Microsoft Messenger before it became Skype as, as an instant message chat. I swear to God, this was like probably like 2002, maybe. Um, anyway. And I remember one day she had a status update on her instant messenger that said, it was time for a change. I'm really excited. And I saw that at work one day. And I remember thinking, oh my God, she got a new job. This is so exciting. And then I went and I saw her a little while later and realized she just got her hair colored. Like that's what she was talking about. And I, I remember being so disappointed because like I was so, like I wanted to live vicariously through her making that change because I already knew at that point that I was starting to feel like you know, what had been a perfect arrangement was getting less perfect over time, but I wasn't ready to rip off the bandaid yet. And I think to me, that is really what I think of when I, when I, you know, was reading that article in the times, because like there are plenty of pieces, right. Where we, we stack, we stack our lives in an order, right. You have work, you have your family, you have school, kids, parents, spouse, like you have all of these pieces and we kind of build these Jenga towers. Right. And and, and sometimes they're precarious and sometimes, you know, a piece has to move and it's, we're holding our breath to make sure everything else doesn't fall. But then there are days when you're just feeling frustrated and all you want to do is kick the whole thing over, right? Like you just, it's, and it's so tempting. And, you know, as a responsible grown up adult human being with bills and responsibilities and all the rest of that stuff, we don't normally do that. But I think what, what I really got from from kind of that psychological overlay of this action is, first of all, we've felt cooped up and like just stir crazy for two, going on two years now or going on three years now with COVID. And so how many of us are just like itching for a chance to just bust out? Like, I don't even care what it is, like burn the house down, do a tap dance, go, like whatever, I, it doesn't even matter, just something. And so when, when we start seeing that, other people around us are like, screw this, I don't need this. Like I got, I, I can go do something else. Or, hey, you know what? Because of other things that have changed, I can take time off. Like, who? You know, you you had the like the just phenomenal timing of starting your business, like just before COVID hit. And then you had to pivot how you were doing everything through that. And so there's there's, you know, necessity sometimes the mother of invention, but it also can give us a new lens to go back and look and say, holy crap, what was I doing? Yeah. And I think, I think it really speaks to kind of this, the positive of constructive conflict, right? And, and really people engaging with, man, I do have control over my life. And, and really speaking to how, and people actually tapping into how freeing it is to feel like you kind of have some say-so of how you engage, who you work for, how you work for that organization, and really that really permission to practice something different, permission to pivot. Per like, and, and, and I love just 
kind of this, the theme and umbrella of permission. And I really believe those of us, and, and I love the, you know, kind of tying into how I started off, you know, 2020, I was starting off early 2020 as literally an explicit decision that, hey, it's my time. But now, okay, along the way, like, what's it look like? And this, this idea that I can own my own clock and I can own my reality or at least be a actual full-time character in it, people were beginning to take that back for themselves. And I really, I'm, and I talk to clients and you probably do with leaders all the time of finding meaning in what they do. And when you really start talking, when I really started, clients start really figuring that thing out. It wasn't until these last several years that they were like, that they really sat down because they were able to be voluntold to stay home. But then they were in this space by themselves and they were actually seeing the thing that they spent so much time investing in really wasn't what they were actually creating in their minds it to be. And so now people are like, okay, I'm seeing it for what it really is to me. And it's not healthy. It's, it's, it's an environment that I actually wouldn't invite anybody else to be in. And so, you know what, I'm going to leave. And, and that's the biggest part. And the funny part about it, Allure, every year Glassdoor does this report about why, or like why people leave organizations and invariably money's always there. Oh, money. People want more money. No, they don't. All in this top 10, I would say 80% of the top 10 has something to do with the way we engage each other. Yeah. It has something to do with people. And, and, and again, this data is there for everybody to consume. And, and I love the psychological part of it because I believe now more than ever, people are tapping into how do I get mentally, emotionally, and physically healthy again? And it starts with my work as well as a part of me being healthy, whole, and all the rest of those things. No, I, and I, I love one of the things you said, right, is that part of it is simply the act of reclaiming control. So after two years, you know, everything else, we've, we've all, I think, felt a lot less control than any of us were used to, but we also know fundamentally that a lot of that control is an illusion. And so it really kind of like strips everything bare and then you're stuck with, okay, so what actually is in my control? Because nowhere near as much as I thought was, was as it happens. And so now I've learned that I had to let certain things go, still struggling with others, you know, all kinds of other stuff. But what, what can I actually directly influence myself? And so I think this is a really valuable reminder. And to your point about the glass door data, right? Sometimes it's not anything that anybody else would ever consider important. It's not, I think one of the reasons that we come back to money is because that's one of those very tangible things that gets hard to argue with, right? If, if you say, hey, you know, if, 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 you, if you think your boss is a jackass and you want to go give notice and he asks you why you're leaving, odds are most of us don't tell, tell him because I hate your guts. I don't want to work for you because I think you're a monkey. Like, that's not like, I'm not, I'm not going to say that in most cases. Instead, we default to, you know, they just, they offered, they made me such a great offer. I couldn't turn it down. And some of that comes back to your conflict point, right? It's like, is this a productive conflict? Is, is this a productive conversation to have? Maybe, maybe not. I might not feel like it's worth it to me because I'm done. By that, by the time you give notice, you're usually checked out, ready to go. And I'm like, screw this. I don't want to put any more effort 
into this discussion than necessary. And I already thought my, you know, and I already thought you were an idiot. I didn't want to have a conversation with you before this. I sure as hell don't want to do it now. And not, I'm not going to be vulnerable enough to be honest with you and then have to listen to you come back at me about it. So forget it. I'll pick the thing that's easy to say. They made me an offer I couldn't refuse. Boom. There you go. Conversation done. I'm out. And, and it's funny, funny you say that because I, and I could just think back to when I handed in my resignation and how long I gave them before I transitioned should have been a telltale sign. Like it, it's not y'all, it's me. Like, I, like, I'm like helping you recruit my backfield. Like, that's like, I was just like, I'm trained, but the, just what you pointed to, it's like, you can't be quitting us because of us. So there has, it has to be something else. And I kept being asked, so what are you going to do? Not be here. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, I'm, I'm going to do me. And like, I really had no, like, I was like, I don't really believe I owe you an answer to, yeah. to me saying I'm out. And, yeah. but, but there's been so many in, from the organization side, there's this association with loyalty and all the rest of these things. <laughs> exactly. But the moment that there's an economic downturn or something like that, you just well, got us, right? It's, it's one of those, all, all of a sudden, everybody's supposed to take the attitude of suck it up, buttercup. We should have knew this was coming. And now, or people are like, you know what? COVID presented us all at the same exact time, this uncertainty that nobody could speak to. And, and organizations who are thriving still in COVID have somehow figured out how to communicate the I don't knows. And it's the organizations who fumbled in communication before who are still fumbling today, and they're not connecting the people. And again, in some of these organizations are your big boxes that are just like, eh, we are who we are. We'll, we'll continue to get employees that want to work for the brand, not, not because we actually have a culture that actually is supportive of people and all the rest of these things. And one of the other biggest things that I'm seeing in a lot of the work that I'm doing is really this idea around, you know, people that, how are they processing people's level of need and interest in this season of life? And, and the organizations and businesses, uh, Laura, I, that really truly figure out who do we want to be? going into the future and able to communicate that that's what people are trying to attach themselves to people who actually know who they desire to be and then saying you know what if you're connect if this resonates with you come hang out with us yeah. and in those and then and just leave it at that that's just like us in relationships mm -hmm. i know who vibes with me and yeah. in this season of life and those who don't it's okay it's not bad. It's just, it's not my thing right now. And so you do you, I'm going to do me. And those organizations, like people, people kind of vibe with that. They're like, okay, cool. Like I, I, I can respect that. Uh, and, and those are the things I think this new reality of work and all the rest of these things, people feeling like they have options, feeling like they have control and you're not shaming me into a relationship. Like I have to stay with you. <laughs> so I think that's, I think to me, that's really, that's really what this article was really came back to me that is that so it's so funny because you know I think and it's your point about the umbrella of permission there are so many things that we lock ourselves into and we just take for granted that that's the way it has to be um you know and and it doesn't matter whether you're in a 
you're miserable in your marriage or you're miserable where you live or you're miserable at work or anything else. Like we, we find ourselves, I think a lot of times just kind of just going through the motions because, you know, all right, I made the decision. So now I've got to live with the consequences. And at some point there's a balance, right? Between, all right, I'm living up to my commitments versus like, it's killing my soul. Like there's, you, there's a line between those two sometimes that you hit it and you're like, geez, Louise, I can't do this. Like, this is so like, this is making me a hostile, angry, bitter, pissy human being that I wouldn't want to be around much less like expect anybody else to want to be around. And so for me, I think the thing that that's really always very useful about this idea of psychological permission is that we almost always have it. We just sometimes forget that we have it. And sometimes that catalyst of seeing someone else do something is like this crazy wake up call where you're like, oh, geez, I didn't think about that. I can do that too. Ooh, maybe I will. I, you know what? The, the biggest thing there and what was coming up for me is kind of this, this focus in what I'm interested in being a part of and the competing of what we find valuable in our lives and in society and what people have told us and, and the normal human tendency that kind of leads us in a direction of take, doing the emotional thing or doing the practical thing, or doing the thing that should be expected of us. Um, and, and I think when we focus on just setting a found, what do, what do you want? What do you want? And then answer the question, why? And then, and I think a lot of people for the first time in their lives, they're sitting with that, Laura. Like, how many clients have we had over the last several years that when we ask them, like, what do you value? And, the, and how many people are just like, I don't know. Well, and I think that's, that's part of it too, right? I think, and and to be fair, I think that's, that's probably one of the places that, that COVID has kind of helped sort of lead Mm -hmm. to this because, you know, again, things that people take for granted, you know, like you, you live in Atlanta, which has notoriously terrible traffic, right? Like the people who, you know, before this were sitting in traffic an hour in the morning and an hour at night, every single day. And that was just the cost of doing business. They were used to it. They didn't think anything of it. And after, you know, two years of not doing it, the question of, geez, Louise, am I, am I actually prepared to go back to doing that now? Oh, like that, to me, that's really where this whole permission concept comes up because so many of our expectations or our just, you know, basic assumptions about what, what we were expected to put up with have changed. And, you know, as, as some companies like, okay, time to get back in the office. And people are like, wow, I was really digging that extra two hours a day I, I found in this. And yeah, not a big fan of working from home and all, but, you know, I got like 10 hours a week is not nothing to get back. And you, and, and I think, so, so the funny part about it is, and you're somebody, you, you've been digital nomad before you've you were doing flex work and did and work from home, you know, well before, you know, a pandemic happened. And I really believe what you point to is the organizations who were doing it out of necessity. And then now the organizations who have built an infrastructure because they are actually saw success in it and the people actually getting information from them to not make them be, you know, kind of have this impasse moment of, 
you know, your results and what you want me, you want to see me, you want to continue lording over me inside a building. But what does the data say about my production? You're trying to force me back into this building. But like you said, you've actually gotten 10 additional hours of production out of me. Well, and I actually think there's a, there's an inverse too, right? Because yeah, again, sure. I've been, sure. I've been virtual for 15 years. And so one of the things that is always interesting to me is companies say, oh no, no, we're, we're moving to a virtual model and then actually get into the reality. And it's like, well, you want to get to being virtual at the end of the day, though, you still have a butts and seats decisions are made in the room kind of like, you know, your, your office is your hub kind of model. And so you're not as virtual, you might get there eventually, but you, it's not, a, you can't just flip a switch and have it suddenly change the way that the people in your organization engage. And so one of the things that I think is also ultimately going to reveal itself as people do get back into, you know, whatever normal needs to be for any given business is that people who made changes or whose lifestyle adapted during that period are going to have to go back and say, okay, I know you say you're virtual and I know you want to be, but I got to say the problem I'm seeing right now is that I can't really get what I need to do my job properly if I'm not in the office three days a week. And I can't, my life has changed too much. I can't do that. Or I, I don't want to do that. And I have options that mean I don't need to do that. So like, and to me, that's part of this. Like we we'll talk, I think there's more conversation in some cases about companies saying, oh, go back to work. But the reality is, is that I think there are a lot of companies taking the perspective of, okay, so now we need to be hybrid, but they're still struggling with what that means, right? Because when you have a team that makes the decisions before the meeting while they're standing in the hallway waiting for the meeting room to clear out, then you've just rendered most of the meeting useless. And that means anybody who was only participating because they were calling in just got left out of the conversation that mattered. And that's not to say that you have to redirect everything. It just means you need to understand that, you know what, if you have a culture where your kitchen and your coffee pot is really the gravity well for you know, leaders to start congregating, then when you hire a leader who lives 2000 miles away, they're going to struggle to stay plugged into what's going on because that coffee pot, as it happens, is the gravity well. And so, and then when you, and so that's to me, that's part, that's the flip side of that. And that's the side that I see mm -hmm. from as someone who's been virtual for 15 years and worked with companies who over the past couple of years have been like, oh, no, no, we're going to be hybrid now. And it's like, well, yeah, not so much. Yeah, you, you, you can aspire to it, but I don't see it. I, yeah, I don't think you're there yet. No, and I think as you were describing that, I was getting this image in my head. And, and again, as we think about, you know, I'm thinking about this triangle of satisfaction, but the kind of it's the iceberg, right? What you see are the results, but what's under the waterline, right? And under that waterline is okay. What do we need to be doing, process and procedure wise? to make this actual a tangible thing. And underneath that, it's really holding this whole thing up is the psychological and emotional interests of everybody involved in this thing and people and organizations not taking into account how deep those things are for people to feel connected to the work they do and the emotional, social emotional tolls that people have been taking on themselves as individuals, their families, while in this last season of life. 
and it's really this big old humongous iceberg yeah. and, and, pe and people are just trying to figure out like okay how do we keep moving this thing along and all they see is like oh man we've been able to get record results during COVID and we we're, we're kind of hybrid and I mean we made it work but bring butts and seats and maybe we'll get more out of it and just like but it's like no there's some work you got to do to see what's under that waterline what these what are these other process interests these psychological interests to pull this stuff forward or you're going to continue to hemorrhage for talent and and again it was already the before COVID happened god if somebody if some HR leader said to me one more time we're in a war for talent we're in a war for talent like oh god oh. <laughs> Somebody says that one more time, and now it's the great resignation. People want more money. Or I'm like, y'all still haven't figured it out. It goes to, okay, how are you supporting the people that you have by being thoughtful about how they're engaged, right? And in the work that they do and figuring and pivoting the right way, bringing in people who are multifaceted and multi-skilled from a leadership perspective, like you being in an industry where it's like, no, you're you as a leader, like, no, I can leader as coach, bringing in the types of skills that can support your organization winning in this next normal and continuing to grow those skills so that you actually have people who lead people. And that's what it comes down to for me. So it's really, so it's interesting. I got into, there was an article, a couple of articles actually that ended up sparking a little bit of a debate I got into on LinkedIn about, um, the the difference between sort of rank and file versus leadership and the eagerness to come back to the office, right? That that most individual contributors were way less eager to return to the office than the leaders. And I'm, I was watching some of the debates on LinkedIn about it. And the thing that I never that I never actually saw anyone point out, which I think is a bigger deal than than um, apparently some other people did, um, is that. When you're an individual contributor, more often than not, you have a list of tasks that you have to get through in a day. So if you have an arrangement that allows you to work at home with minimal like distractions, yay for you. You're probably feeling way more productive because you can close the door, you can get stuff done, you don't have people stopping by your desk. Like if there's there's a very satisfying kind of bubble that helps create so that you can pitch, dig in and get focused. The problem that I think people are underestimating is that the higher up the food chain you get, the more about your job or the more, the more your job is about influence. It's about building consensus. It's about getting people on board with your ideas. That is way harder to do virtually. And it's much easier, especially for most people who grew up in the in-person model, it's much easier to do for most people in an in-person arrangement. So for me, it's like kind of a no-brainer that leaders are much more eager to get back into the office because that's that's the in-person model that allows them to be influential. It's super like trying to influence someone via email or Slack or you know a Zoom call is way harder than you know having a heart-to-heart -heart with someone over the coffee machine. Like there's there's a fundamentally different way that we engage, but we also kind of forget that. The higher up the food chain you get in an organization, the nature of your job fundamentally changes. And, and you know, if, if, you need, if you need to do like month end reporting or close out the books or whatever, absolutely go someplace, close the door, heads down, get stuff done. But if your job is to convince people to like, you know, rally support to make some crazy humongous investment in this big, you know, 
prospective initiative, that's easier to do in person. Like there, there, there's a diff, there's a tipping point there where the value of private focus time versus social interaction, engagement, enthusiasm building time shifts as you climb up the food chain. Yeah, and and even even in that, I really believe the the model of who's been successful at it. And, and, I, and I really believe tapping into those leaders. And one of the biggest things that I've been working on with clients is your level of intentionality in this virtual space. And I really believe people who didn't up their reps at engagement in 2020 and, and well into 2021, you missed opportunities to make that pivot and how do we connect meaningfully in a virtual space? Because I kept telling people, and you, and you probably did as well, is like, we keep, oh, we're just waiting to open up. We're just waiting to open up. We're just waiting to open up. And I kept telling people, I was like, we need to figure out how to be in these seasons because it's not, COVID's never, go, it's at this point, it's not going away. They're already talking about it be, turning into the common flu. And we're going to need these cycles of things. And, and for us, it was like the biggest thing for me as a coach and as a trainer, virtually, and all these other things is, well, okay. What can I present and add value to a client? It's me upping my skill and my ability in this format and form. And yep. for most of my leaders, coaching them on, okay, what does it look like to be intentional about making time to do what you did in person? Because you made time to go stop at Allura's desk. Yep. You made time to do kind of drive-by people. Okay, what does a virtual drive-by look like? What is it? And it, it takes a little bit more skill and a little bit more intentionality to book that calendar invite. But here's the thing, not for a half hour, for 15 minutes, so that you're getting in those baked in times that you normally would be spending in person. And it's a yes and not a this or a that. And I really believe like the leaders, the opportunity exists in not boxing yourself in to say this is it's better this way. Yes, it would totally be good for people to be in person, but guess what? I don't know what you do on the weekends. I don't want you stopping by my office no more. You nasty. I, I watched you last time, last time we went out to eat before COVID, you went, you went to the bathroom you and you ain't wash your hands. So I definitely don't want you stopping by my, my desk in no, in no pre-COVID world. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and it's, and so, oh my God, that turns me up. So, and I think that's, that's actually probably a really good example, right? For, 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 you know, there are plenty of places where, you know, we put up with certain things. Again, it comes back to like, this was the cost of doing business. We had to do it. Like, you know, you have, you know, you have the, the office space kind of like model of the, you know, toxic coworkers things and like, just, oh my God, I just got to put in my time. I just got to put in my time. And, and the reality is, is that, you know, I have, I've interviewed so many people in the last, in my dog's I've interviewed so many people in the last um, few months who have been like, you know, I ask them, so, you know, what is it that you're looking for in a new role? And their answer is, well, you know, we went completely virtual for COVID. And now that we're facing the end of it, my boss has decided we're all going back. And yeah, I don't think so. Not going to do it. And again, it's back to that whole idea that COVID gave us permission to discover that we can be productive. We can also come back and say, you know what? Man, I was working way too many damn hours. Like now that I'm, now that I have more time with my family, I'm not, 
I have no desire to give that up now. Why would it like, what the hell? And I think that part comes back to the permission point, right? We, we get so in our routines and sometimes it really does take something hitting us upside the head to be like, oh, wow, I do have permission to change how I'm doing this. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. And it's amazing. And me and you made you always, always talk about Again, the and uh, one of the chapters in the books, uh, focus in action is great leadership. Uh, one of the textbooks I use uh, with my students at Morehouse, and it starts the first model uh, that Dr. White talks about in this book. It's about focus and the intrapersonal skill development in all of us. And one is, you know, kind of our our internal operating systems. And just what you spoke to, she calls it the inner theater, right? We've been playing this movie and been watching it a certain way for so long that now we're like, oh, I could be a different character. Like I, I really could be somebody different in this thing. And it's just- Or, like, or you could just watch it with the lights on. Like, yeah, oh exactly. My, flip the light. Oh my gosh. It's like, who told you to turn the lights off? Like, and like, but I thought that's what we had to do. But like, yeah. no, it's still, the, the movie's still the movie. Turn yeah. the lights on. <laughs> and, and I think, and, he, and here's where, and I love that you said, it's just the nuance of it. Life just, it just shifted. And now we just need to, what makes sense for us now, yeah. right? That made sense before, but what makes sense today and upgrade your reality of how you are, are how you're being in this season, right? And not life happening to me, but you living through this life in the season that you're in. And man, that's a beautiful point you made. It's just like, it's a nuance of, of what this looks like for me. And guess what? Yes. What kind of character do you want to be? Or do you need to be for yourself, for your future today? Man. Okay. So I have a question for you then to wrap up. Yes, ma'am. Tell me a time when you had like, oh my God, I have permission moment. Like that moment where you're like, where the penny drops and you're like, I don't have to do this. What? Like, yeah. This time last year, as I was going through a uh, positive intelligence certification course, and it was really digging in on not just the power of permission, but the power of pausing and what was true versus what I was making true. And that was the, the moment for me that unlocked in 10x 2021 for me. And that was so crucial in my business and everything in 2021. So that was, that's what it was for me, learning that skill set of positive intelligence and the power and pausing. Yeah. What that's about awesome. you? So for me, it was actually, it was actually similar. It was almost the corollary actually. So I was, um, I had, so I have, I have a pathological version of housework. Terrible. Like I'm like, screw this. I can build companies. I can make money. Just don't make me do domestic stuff. Like I'm terrible at it. <clears throat> and so I would let any number of domestic chores, like stack up and stack up and stack up until it was just like horrible. And I didn't realize that I had it in my brain that when it was time to do laundry or do dishes or anything else that I needed to do the whole thing. I had to complete it all. And I read a book about like managing your anxiety in your household and stuff. And, and the most unbelievably valuable permission out of that was 
just do it for 15 minutes. You don't have to finish. Nobody says you have to, like, if it's a four hour job, nobody says you have to do four. Because, and, and what I realized by doing that was I would look at a task and be like, oh God, that's going to take me all day. I don't have the energy for that. So just walk away and don't bother. And that was when I realized that procrastination and perfectionism usually go hand in hand. And that was one of the big reasons. And so the idea that I could just give myself permission to just spend five minutes, 10 minutes, 15. And to this day, I am a constantly shocked at how much stuff I get done in 15 minutes, <laughs> way more than I ever actually thought. But like, just to be, I will still, like, if I still have a daunting task that, that I just am dreading, that got to get done. I will still set a timer for 15 minutes. And my rule for myself is just do it. For, you can, I, you can do anything for 15. You can stand on your head for 15 minutes. Like 15 minutes is not going to kill you. You can do it. And then at the end of that, be satisfied that you did it. Be proud of yourself for having stuck to it, but walk away. You can find another 15 minutes, you know, two days from now and come back to it. You don't have to do it all at once. So yeah, that idea that like, it's not all or nothing. You can just come back and keep taking another pass at it. Like was, that was, that totally changed my whole view of everything, but especially dealing with all the chores I ate. That's a good one. It's, oh my God. And I really underestimated how much that, like just the size of the job was just demotivating me to even get started. And as soon as I started doing that, I'm like, well, geez, I can and then, and like I said, then I was just constantly going, I'm like, man, I only did it for 15 minutes. I made a really good bet. Holy mackerel. Telling you, that is, that is literally taking a bite at a time. Yeah. That's, yeah. And it's made all the difference. And I, I find myself actually doling out that piece of advice. Again, like I said, for me, the biggest application for it was, you know, dealing with, <laughs> dealing with a messy house. But like, it's actually super useful for anything else, for exercising, for, you know, like there, there are so many, and I find myself constantly using that model with people that you don't have to take it all on. Just take a cut out. Just there it is. One. There it is. So, awesome. Well, as always, I love talking to you and I'm so happy we're back. And so uh, we will tee up again for next week. In the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful week, my friend. You too, my friend. I'll talk to you okay. later. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Join us next week when we'll take on our next topic. In the meantime, have a fantastic week.